1: interested in the the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church.
0: The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe, is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature.
1: What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man.
0: The gospel never tells us something to do. The gospel tells us about something that's been done.
1: Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And over the next month, there's going to be um, a few weeks where we're not going to have episodes just with the holidays and travel and and that sort of thing. So we'll be back to our uh, normal programming after the first of the year. there will be a couple more episodes before the end of the year and um, you know it's been such a crazy year. so we need a little little time off. Uh, one of the things that's come up, and I've seen this all over Facebook and different groups is discussions on women and society. And really I think that they kind of started, the discussions were centering around that because of uh, the nomination of a woman to the Supreme Court, and you know, all all the time when these things happen, you go in, in the Facebook groups. Is it okay for a woman to be, you know, a Supreme Court justice, or you know, these different things? And so, I told Rachel, you know, I want to just do an episode talking about women in society, and. We're going to focus on that aspect. But one of the things I wanted to say is last year um, we did several episodes. I'm going to link some of them in the episode notes around some of the themes in Rachel's book, Beyond Authority and Submission. And so a lot of what we're going to talk about now fits into that discussion. When Because even though we're focusing on women in society, a lot of this has to do with just uh, a correct understanding of men in, and women in general. So I wanted to mention that. And for starters, I just want to go over what are some of the the different views. And I'm also going to put, for those of you that have Rachel's book, I'm going to put some page numbers because um, I went back and kind of bookmarked some things and and reread some of what Rachel wrote, because she's just done so much on this. And one of the things I know that uh, you talked about in your book, Rachel, was some of the different views that you find within Christianity. Uh, Could you talk about some of those views regarding men and women in society?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because a lot of these discussions come up in kind of, in spurts, elections often seem to bring them up again. So I remember back um, when McCain ran and Sarah Palin was the uh, uh, vice presidential nominee, there were questions then about, you know, was it okay to have a woman vice president, right? You know, is it, you know, should we be concerned about that? And then of course in, in 2016 with, um, uh, Hillary Clinton running for president, and there's questions. you know, aside from you know the politics, do we support this candidate or that? but just the the question itself about is it okay for a woman to be running uh, for such a high office and of leadership? and And so, of course, between um, the most recent Supreme Court nomination of uh, a woman and then Biden's running mate, um Harris is a woman. So you have all of these political questions. And, you know, like I said, it's not just, you know, the politics of one party versus the other. And this is, you know, both conservatives and liberals, Republicans and Democrats, you know, having these discussions about whether or not it's okay for women to be, to have leadership roles in society. Um, one of the things that you see, uh, from the discussions, uh, vision forum, which was the, um, Homeschool, conservative, um, a Reconstructionist, I don't know what else, Dominionists. I guess that's what, the best way to describe them. Um, Doug Phillips' group, they were located out of San Antonio. And they, of course, of course, have gone, I keep saying of course, I'm sorry about that. And they have recently, in the last, you know, 15 years, uh, closed shop. Uh, Doug Phillips got into trouble And the whole thing, organization is gone. But you can still find some of their their resources out there. And one of the things that they wrote was a uh, statement on biblical patriarchy with various bullet points. And you can find it cached in a few places online still. And one of the things they say is that a God-honoring society will prefer male leadership in civil and other spheres. Uh, They say that it is not the ordinary and fitting role of women to work alongside men as their functional equals in public spheres of dominion. Uh, And the exceptional circumstances like singleness ought not to redefine the ordinary God ordained social roles of men and women as created. So this is an example of uh, the separate spheres idea that, you know, men uh, were created to lead in the public sphere and women were created to stay in, within the domestic sphere of the home. And so in this way that not just that in marriage that women uh, are called to submit to their own husbands or that in the church um, only qualified men should be ordained, but that men and women are so fundamentally different in their creation in their very nature that they inhabit these separate spheres or they are made for these separate spheres so that men should always be the preferred leadership when you're talking about the home, uh, church, or also all of society. One of the things that uh, I ran across when I was doing the research for my book, and you can see this in, in the chapter I don't remember which one, but you can see it in the, the book chapter that covers society. Um, one of the guys, James Jordan, if you're familiar from, of him from the Federal Vision discussions, he's part of the, the guys that really kicked off a lot of the, the theology that comes under Federal Vision. Um, he's a director of Biblical Horizons Ministries, and you can find these kinds of writings there among these other things. And he, if you're familiar with the idea um, about creation, that's like the framework idea of creation that, you know, the first three days of creation um, are, um, are the form, right? So they, they set the form of, of the heavens and the earth, the sea and the land and sun and the moon, or these Light and dark, the basic form of things. And then the four, the four, five, and six days of creation cover the filling of creation, of those forms so that you have the, um, plants and you have sea life and birds and animals on land. And then the sun, this, actually that's where the sun and the moon and the stars, they fill the, the heavens and you have the creation of man. And so you have the, the form and the filling. He took that idea of the framework of creation and then applied it to, um, men and women and how men and women were, were created to be. So he says that men were made to initiate and to form after the pattern, pattern of Adam and that women complete what men began after the pattern, pattern of Eve. So in marriage, men initiate and provide. Women then complete this and bring glory through bearing children and decorating the home. Um, he applies this in the church that men lead because men were created to initiate. Not that there are certain men who were called and qualified to, to be ordained leaders, but that men as men were created to initiate and women lend glory to worship. So that in society, he says, men tend to be guardians and protectors and uh, then society is decorated and glorified by women. So when you look at the, these separate spheres and this idea of uh, initiating versus f- completing or uh, glorifying, filling, uh, Men are supposed to be the leaders. Women are supposed to bear children and care for the home. So if a woman is working outside the home, she is less feminine. She's going against her nature. She's going against the order that God has created.
1: You know, one of the things you talk about, um, and I think it's such an important point when we're talking about this, is um, when we come to biblical standards they are things that um, are appropriate across all cultures, all times. And this is something you talk about because you talk a lot about, you know, kind of the history of views on men and women and how we got here. But the, I think it's such an important point. So uh, I'll give an extreme example. We know that murder <laughs> is wrong regardless, every, every culture, every time. And I think as I'm listening to you talk, and I know I've mentioned this before. And I know that someone even mocked me for it, um, as sometimes happens, but I do think a lot about these ideas and how they play out in, in other countries in in other cultures. And I know I've talked about this before, but I think it's such an important point. I, I think about the, the post-Soviet countries and things are very, very different there, um, We've we've had a Russian student from a Christian school come and stay with us and gotten to know a lot of these Christians in in Russia. And then um, I've gotten to know some people from other post-Soviet countries and thinking of the the women staying home. And I've mentioned this before, but, you know, I some of these people that I know <laughs> laughed like we can't do that because our kids need to eat, <laughs> you know, Um and, you know, they and the way that they I know, at least um, some people that I know in Russia and in Kazakhstan, the way that the way that they did it culturally was um, grandma and grandpa move in with the family. Mom and dad both work. Grandma and grandpa help take care of the kids. This is how they provide. And um, the, the economies in some of these countries are still just they are still trying to recover. And so it's a very, very different thing. And I've had girls in our group um, say to me, these ideas about manhood and womanhood that you Americans have are just bizarre to us.
0: Mm. Well, and it is, it's, it is. um, And you don't hear what I'm, I'm not saying when I say it this way, it is a luxury for us to have this discussion about, you know, should women stay at home? And, um, you know, that their their focus then is on keeping the home and their husband's focus is on bringing in income for the family. Um, and I, now, when I say it that way, I'm not saying that everyone who lives that way is living a luxurious life or living, you know, in the lap of luxury and having, you know, all sorts of of material benefits. But... Being able to make, and I'm not saying too, I know that people who are are making these choices are often sacrificing uh, various things that they could have by making these choices. I, I know that that's true. Um, but on the whole, for most of, of the world, for most of time, um, it is taken everyone in the household to work together in order to keep a roof over their heads and food on the table and clothes on their backs. And what that looks like varies society to society. It varies in, you know, if you're in an agricultural dominant society and everyone's working in the field or with the animals, or if you're in industrial societies where people are working outside their homes or in family shops, or whatever, to bring in um, the necessary uh, either goods or money to provide and it is it is unusual when you're comparing across cultures and across time for women to stay at home and to while taking care of the home and taking care of the children they are not participating in, in the family economy in that way um, uh, in 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 providing for the family. Now it doesn't mean that women who are working, who are at home and taking care of the family may very well be participating in the family economy. It's just not, people don't recognize what they're doing uh, to provide for their families. But um, this, this discussion about, you know, who brings in the most income. And I've said this before in other times that we've talked about this is a, a, a fairly modern discussion when the discussion's, across time have been, you know, how are we going to have enough to live and take care of our family?
1: We have so many movements and ideas that are kind of reactionary. And so you had in the seventies and the eighties, um, a lot of women going back to work. And, um, so you have, uh, I know for me and my peers, a lot of them were latchkey kids. They call them, um, back in the eighties. And so, and, and they disliked that their moms weren't there. And so they said, oh, nope, I think I've decided that a mom should stay home and must stay home. Many of us are able to make that decision. And it's a blessing. And Rachel and I are both so grateful we've been able to stay home um, with our children. The thing that um, that we want to emphasize is saying it is absolutely wrong for a woman to work outside the home and one of the things talked about in recovering biblical manhood and womanhood and we'll get to this in a little bit but this idea that all men have some sort of some sort of ex, um, some sort of authority over all women so now you know um you're an assistant manager at Taco Bell and you're a woman and you can't usurp the god-given authority of you know the 16-year-old that um, you're training at the cash register, you know, and it becomes this, this sort of thing. And um we shouldn't shouldn't have to say this, but. Rachel and I've said over and over: we believe it. Only qualified men are called to be pastors and elders, and you know, husbands love their wives; wives submit to your husband. All of that. What we're talking about now is that we don't think that this idea—and it's a big theme throughout Rachel's book—this idea of authority and submission between all men and women extends to all of society. Right,
0: and and that's where you know, you're talking about, um, you know, what I write in the book and what we've we've talked about before. You know, we're not denying the authority and submission that we see uh, like in, in the home or even in church, we're talking about whether or not authority and submission are like inherent characteristics of men and women. So that men, because they are men are inherently uh, leaders and initiators and, and have authority um, and that women, because we are women are inherently um, submissive, or to male authority and um, yielding and quiet and all of those things that have come to define femininity within um, conservative Christian culture. But when we do that, when we say that that's what men are and we say that this is what women are, uh, then we have to fit all situations between men and women into that framework. So, and you know, I use the example in my my book of the um, you know, Procrestian bed. You, know, you, if you you had to fit the bed, so either you had to be stretched to fit it, or whatever didn't fit the bed was cut off. And so, when you have this framework that's that's this wooden, um, you know, enforced uh, idea that you know this um, that's imposed upon this framework that's imposed upon um, men and women in all aspects of our lives. Then we do have to. Ant- it it leads to all sorts of situations that are are odd in how we have to view them through this lens. So, for example, one that's brought up fairly commonly from uh, recovering manhood and womanhood, when Piper talks about how, you know, as a woman, if a man uh, stops and asks you directions, uh, that a woman has to give the directions for, to the man in a way that uh, reflects his uh, masculine authority and and her feminine submission, even though she has the, the actual knowledge that he needs or, you know, how, what kinds of work are appropriate for men and women. And based on this, you know, is it how much direct authority would a woman have in this position over men? And, or would it be, you know, kind of indirect authority or, you know, is it okay? It's, then it's not okay then for a woman to be like a drill sergeant or an umpire uh, in baseball, but it could be okay for a woman to be a city planner because no one would know it was a woman who had the authority to make the roads do what they do. Um, but it's such a, instead of looking at it in is, is this woman qualified for this position does she have the skill set necessary to do it well is is she does she want to do this job you know instead of looking at it that way we're looking at it in terms of well you know is it okay for a woman as a woman to do these things and it it just leads to some really weird gymnastics yeah
1: that's what i was i was thinking um where it just kind of these um subjective ideas of what is masculine and feminine, and what is okay? Um That I don't even know. Always <laughs> don't tell me what, what, what the idea is. Can a woman uh, do this? And you know, you get into some really odd teachings. Something we've talked to Amy Bird about is this idea that a man can't learn from a woman. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: well, it's okay to learn from a woman. It's okay to learn from a woman if it if you do it by reading something that she wrote, but not if it was about theology. But I mean, it or yes, it's okay if it was theology as long as you don't really take you don't submit to her authority. Like it's, like you're right. Like how do you figure out where do it's you fit? gymnastics? Right, it's mental gymnastics. <laughs> and it leads to you know, and we see this in the group with women, men, and women that contact us, a lot of fretting. Am I doing this the right way, right? My husband and I are trying to work out what to do with this, and we're not sure, is this right? Is it okay if I make more money than my husband? Is it okay, you know, if uh, I work while my husband goes back to school? Is it, you know, what's the right thing? And the truth is, there may not be a one-size-fits-all right thing about all these decisions. It may be how God's gifted you and your husband, what he's calling you to, what this season of life is, how it works in your marriage, what's the best for you and you are following god in what you do yeah and
1: one of the things that i see because of some of these different ideas you have men and women out there living with this false guilt because they're not falling in line with these ideas that they're told so now um you know now uh, you know, a woman should be a, a teacher, a nurse and a secretary. And then now all of a sudden, if a, a man is a nurse, is he less masculine? Well, of course not. Um, but there's but there's different they kind of make up different sorts of uh, ideas. And then you have women that are feeling guilty because they got a raise and they're not making more than their husband? Does that make their husband less masculine and them less feminine? You know, these just crazy ideas. I get messages from women who will hear some of these things and come to me sometimes in tears saying, am I in sin because? And it's one of these made up rules.
0: I mean, and we've used these examples before too. You know, it, One of the things that um, is given as an example of something that men should do is that men should drive my husband's job uh his last job was 45 minutes away to an hour and so he drove that much every day twice by the time he got home he was tired and so if we went out in the evening i often i would offer to drive why because he was tired and i was being kind not because because you love right him. because i love him <laughs> and i didn't want him to be overtired and but that wasn't usurping his masculinity because i drove you know, right? It, it's just what was working. My dad um, loves to cook. My mom never, uh, never has as much. And so my dad did a lot of the cooking. Was he less masculine for doing it? No. If you met my dad, you would know he is a man. He is a masculine man. I right. would not question this. My mom is feminine. Um, it's what worked in their marriage. And so I think. Again, we've as we've said many times before, we should be more gracious and less judgmental about people making these choices in their own lives.
1: I've said this before, but um again, I think it's so important. There's so much in our lives that are not black and white. I mean, so much, uh, you know, from you know, what job should I have and what house and how should we set set these things up? And some of them we we all agree that's not black and white, but Um, people are giving black and white standards to things that God has not given black and white standards to what, what we are called to do is have wisdom. So, you know, a couple decides together, how are we going to do this? What's best um, for our family? Um, How can we work this out? What is, what is not, you know, good for our family, but what's possible for our family? Is it possible for me to stay home with the kids and homeschool or, you know, things like that. And, a couple of sides, these things together using
0: wisdom. Exactly. And uh, wisdom there is the, the biggest, the biggest key. We use wisdom and then we're gracious to each other about the different decisions that we make. Um, and especially when we're talking about how we should live uh, within our societies, there, there really aren't that many uh, cut and dried black and white Yes, you must do, or you know, you may not. um, That we get from Scripture about how to live in our society as men and women. Now we have a whole lot of things about, in general, how to be. You know, we should be good neighbors, and we should be respectful to authority and godly. uh, Respect our um, our government authorities, and you know, we should live peacefully. Like there's, there's many things that we are told as Christians about how to live. Um, but there's not much in it about uh, you men need to and you women should or shouldn't um, within the, the the New Testament in particular so one of the things you um, also talk
1: about in your book and I I reread sections of Rachel's book in preparation for this discussion because she does such a great job if you haven't read it go put it on your Christmas list or or um, get the Kindle edition and but there's, there's some different consequences and we're starting to get into those of this hyper focus on, on authority and submission. And one of the things, and I know you, this is even something that you talk about is this kind of arbitrary definition. So, um, a woman likes, um, this kind of, music and a man likes this kind of music. I mean, you, I think, is it in your book or something that you wrote where there's even people that talk about masculine and feminine worship music? Oh yes. You know, Mm -hmm. and it gets kind of crazy. (laughs) All these, uh, these, um, arbitrary definitions.
0: Yes. Um, there, there are quite a lot that, yes, if you have a lot of, um, drums and a heavy guitar beat, that makes it masculine music. and, and, other music would be then that would be feminine music for worship. And we shouldn't, we should have masculine worship and not feminine worship. And I think we should have godly worship and we should all be appropriate in our worship. And yeah. um, And, and to other things too, that, you know, certain ways of wearing, wearing your hair, like the length of your hair should be determined um to be feminine that needs to be some say uh longer than your husband some say at least 6 inches longer than your husband's or others are Oh I haven't heard oh, that yes, one before. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um and I'm thinking I don't know where this comes from but you know, it seems kind of an arbitrary decision um you know we, and we get to and society will tell you, you know, certain colors are masculine certain colors are feminine and there certainly are culturally conditioned beliefs about these things but some of those have changed even
1: through on what colors are supposedly feminine and what colors. so they might be that way in our society but that doesn't mean they are inherent pink is yeah. absolutely a feminine color black and white feminine color through all of history it
0: wasn't at first in fact it was considered a masculine color because pink is connected to red and red was considered to be a strong color and blue was considered to be mm-hmm. more of a feminine color and then if you look at like the way in Victorian era, uh, the way they dressed little boys until they got to a certain age and they had the curls and the, the frills and you know the skirts. Um, there's a, a, a great picture of Teddy Roosevelt as a baby, um, as a toddler with the curls and the, and the skirt with ruffles. Um, and no one would deny that Teddy Roosevelt was a, a masculine man, but, and that was appropriate culturally for the way he was dressed, right? Uh, he was not considered dressed feminine at the time. Um, these are things, like I said, culturally biased or culturally determined, but, um, not inherently masculine or feminine. And, and that's where, yes, we should be sensitive to what our culture says about, uh, what's appropriate so that we are, um, and this is true with modesty and with, um, you know, manners and such that we we do things that are considered appropriate to our culture, but also as long as those things are not uh, contrary to scripture, right? So those are our, our guidelines on that. But a lot of it really is, you know, very, very arbitrary. You know, if a girl plays with, with cars, she's not a boy, right? If a little boy picks up a doll, he's not a little girl, right? That's, that's not those things. And those ideas don't make us, men and women. Yeah. And you
1: you bring up such a good point about, you know, being sensitive to what's appropriate for our culture. If you talk to um, people that have been in um, some different countries on the mission field, um, you know, it's something that my mom and my grandparents have talked to me about just different standards for modesty in some of the different countries that, that they were in. Oh, so this, I think, in, is something you talk about, too, is when we have these kind of ideas where women are treated as objects and women become unnecessary in in society. It's almost like the, the woman's place is the home and the man's place is in society. We don't need the women in society.
0: They just need to be at home. Yeah, I mean, when women are only supposed to be in the domestic sphere, right? So then that, that's the, the highest calling for a woman. That's the place where women, um, are, that's what their natures are suited for. So in the home, domestic arts, taking care of children, bearing children. Um, when that is all that women, and not that those things are unimportant, because they are important and they are necessary and they are good, but so are, you know, it's also good, important and necessary that men, um, as fathers, care for and nurture their families right so we all have callings like this uh, is who we are in our our relationships as families but when you make that to be the highest calling and the only thing that women um, are supposed to do then you know women are are left as little more than objects and you know, they they do the the you know check boxes this woman is a mother check this woman is a wife check this woman is a homemaker check and that's it Right, so she, her, her worth is determined by uh, who she is, what she's done, and not, or not who she is, by what she's done in her relationship to others, instead of who she is in um, made in the image of God and um, a, a believer in Christ, or you know the gifts that God has given her. Um, you know, it's it's very limiting. The point that I make about women becoming unnecessary in society is, you know, when you say that this is what women are for—it's for women are for uh, the purpose for women is to have children and raise them and take care of the home. Then women have a use in the home. Women have a little use in the church, but women have n- no no function in society except in maintaining or producing more children to continue society. Right. And again, that is an important role, but it's very limiting on who women are and what God has, the gifts God has given women and called us to use. and and talk to um, women that
1: are single um, or women that have been unable to bear children mm-hmm. about some of the things that they felt in the church as if, you know, almost as if they're not fulfilling their God-given calling, that is the idea that it has brought, brought on um, for a lot of women. Like, you hear, a motherhood is a woman's highest calling. So does that mean women who can't have children can't, you know, acquire God's calling for them?
0: Right. And, you know, and again, because people miss. Use what we say. We're not saying that motherhood is not a high calling. We think it's a very high calling. We're both very thankful to be mothers, and to have taken care of our children and to raising and raising them. Right? This is these are gifts that we are very thankful for, and we think are very important. Uh, and we're not diminishing those gifts, but it has to do with how we view women. So that you know, just like I wouldn't reduce a man to only his fatherhood or only um, the career that he has. Right, that this is all that he is, and I don't think women should be reduced to only these categories.
1: Right, that's that's a really good way to say that. And I think sometimes we're just saying stuff that
0: Scripture doesn't say. Yeah, that it's extra biblical. Um, some of it goes into the unbiblical because I think we restrict beyond what Scripture restricts uh, when we talk about these things, um, and especially when you know you look at the examples from scripture that we have about women in society and and commended for how they you know took part in society uh, you have the the Proverbs 31 woman and all of the the work that she is busy with right she is always focused on caring for her home that is her you know her her number one goal and you can see that's what she's doing that, you know, after number one being serving God through caring for her home, but the ways that she does that include, you know, buying and selling or you know, running a business, um, and um, you know, buying property and doing these things so that her husband can do what God has called him to do, right? And it's just it's a much a much broader picture than I think um, we often realize. I, I was even
1: thinking of my, my great grandparents that were having, um, children during the depression, you know, and how they, very conservative Christians, but that, how they work together, mm-hmm. uh, for their good of their family.
0: And we talked about that in one of the episodes before, pretty in depth about that.
1: Yeah, we did. And I'm going to link that in the, um, in the episode notes. So, where do we fit in to society?
0: I think that in the way I answered this in in my book is that um, women have been given gifts by God, just like men have, um, and been and we are called to use them in a way that uh, blesses our families, that takes care of uh, our needs, and that um, provides for the good of society around us. And we really need all of our gifts, both in the or in the home in church and in society. We need to be able to use all of the things that God has given us as we work together i I think it would be
1: helpful for us to kind of basically respond to some of the common objections and these are things I think both of us have seen around a lot, and sometimes you know I think. Social media has, has its benefits, but I think um, sometimes you see these things and it's a new idea and people that are still learning and growing start questioning, wait, am I sinning by doing this or different things like that? Um, we we kind of already touched on um, a woman working out outside the home. When you were doing research for your your book, Rachel, did you find like a certain point that in some Christian circles that that now became it's it's wrong to do because I my parents conservative Christians both of them worked I I didn't even like know <laughs> until I was a lot older that anyone believed that that was wrong
0: there's a real rise in it um after World War II after um um uh, it within the In response to, like, by the '80s, after the response to to the sexual revolution and second wave, so a second wave feminism, um, you get these these ideas. um, Like around the time when the um, Equal Rights Amendment was a big deal, and there were taught a lot of it was, you know, know, these feminists. the The accusation was that feminists were saying were demeaning women by saying that women shouldn't be in the home, and and so it was. It became the right thing to do for conservative women to be in the home, and not to work outside the home. Um, so a lot of them in recent memory, a lot of it pops up um, in the nineteen eighties, and in the like with the recovering biblical manhood and womanhood, and and even then, I mean, there's it's it doesn't come out and say. A Outright, you know, a woman cannot work outside the home, but it gives a lot of, you know, guidelines or, you know, may- maybe it's okay if you're like, you're working while your husband goes to seminary. That's okay, right? Or, um, for a season. But once you have kids, it's really best that you be home. And there's a lot of discussion about, you know, you don't want other people raising your children, you don't want to be responsible. Um, to having to submit to uh, another man instead of your husband with a boss, and those all of those ideas show up in um, like recovering biblical manhood and womanhood in the associated literature.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I know or I'm familiar with some of the contributors, mm-hmm. and there's wives of contributors that work. Right. So it's almost like
0: I, I almost like if you must, then here are the guidelines. Right. Right. Well, but even then. There is a lot of "do as I say" within the Christian uh, conservative women's That's movement true. or women's organizations. Uh, there's a whole industry of uh, authors and writers and speakers and conference planners, where I mean they spend the majority of their their time working outside their homes, but their messages that women should telling be women they shouldn't in the home. <laughs> And, you know, it, it is it is amusing to me in the the irony of...
1: And this really fits into the one we just did, Women Working at Seven Home. But women shouldn't have authority over a man in the workplace. And one of the things um, we didn't mention earlier, but this is something we've talked about, is some of this comes from these ideas that men and women have different ontology and right. men, you know, are ontologically authoritative and women are ontologically submissive. And so therefore, since a woman means you are submissive, um, then therefore she can't exercise authority over a man.
0: Right. Um, you, know, you see that like oh, in the vision definitely. forum quote that I gave at the beginning, it talks about women should not be functionally equal to men in the workplace. Right. Um, so there's that idea that the ontology of men and women is such that you know that that's inappropriate for women to work alongside men as equals. Um, so even even more so if a woman is is the boss. Um, some places like recovering biblical manhood and womanhood and the the, the subsequent um, books in that that vein don't say that it's that a woman can't, be in authority, but it does talk about how a woman has to be careful about recognizing the masculinity and the masculine initiative and leadership of her um, employees. If she's the boss and how if you are a male employee of a, um, and you have a female boss and how you should re- relate to her in a way that you're, you're still working to protect her and do the things that men are supposed to do because of their male nature. And, you know, honestly, there isn't, and again, there isn't a lot of this in Scripture, right? There isn't a lot of these ideas about, you know, um, you know, for example, when uh, in the New Testament, when there are uh, instructions given, you know, Paul talks to husbands and wives, he talks to parents and children, he talks to masters and slaves. And at the time, a master could be either male, a man or a woman. So in the home, um, a woman could be the master over all the slaves in her home, and they would be expected to obey her. And it wasn't considered uh, masculine for her to have that authority. It was just part of you know the relationship between her and her subordinates in the home.
1: Yeah, kind of like we as a you and I as moms of boys have authority right. over our right.
0: our sons in our home. Similarly, right. Um, And that's not, you know, again, it's not masculine for us as moms to have authority over our male children. Um, It's the relationship between mother and son. Um, You see, I I think about the respect that Solomon shows um, the Queen of Sheba when she comes and he answers her questions and he um, listens to her and he, you know, he treats her as an equal, right? In a way that is not just, you know, he's not a man talking to a woman. This is, you know, he is a leader and she is a leader. And there's nothing there in their discourse that's recorded where he tells her, well, you know, you really shouldn't be leading your country. You know, he, that's not the way it's, it's not part of what they're discussing. Right. And so there there are a number of places where if it were something that, the Lord was wanting us to know about men and women, there could have been something said, and it's not. It's not said. Um, it, you talk about um, the authority like that Deborah had as a judge, or um, Huldah as a prophetess, or um, the other female prophets that we, we see in Scripture. Um, or even... You know, the Proverbs 31 woman, right? she is the, the woman, she's over her household. And she would certainly have had both male and female servants who work for her. And it's not inappropriate for her to have that authority either. One of the big ones, this
1: is the one that I see all the time. And that is um, in discussions about... Deborah. They bring up Isaiah 3.12. And so the argument kind of goes like this, mm-hmm. um, that Deborah being a judge was some sort of condemnation because the men wouldn't lead or something like that. And we have a few things we're going to link in the episode notes um, about this, a, a good article about that specifically, but then also a core Christianity addressed whether a woman could have um, hold a authoritative political office but so how how do we think about this because this is i i see this brought up all the time
0: <laughs> yeah well just for anybody who's who's listening at home and goes what is isaiah 312 oh yeah I, um, I meant to read it okay. the verse <laughs> the verse says uh, "Oh my people their oppressors are children and women rule over them uh, oh, my people! Those who guide you lead you astray and confuse the direction of your paths. Right. So the the argument is there. See, it says clearly that their oppressors are children and women rule over them. It's a bad thing. So anytime a woman is a leader, um, it is a sign of God's judgment. Um, uh, different things. Um, and I I quote this in my book. You talk about Deborah. They'll say, no, is not a good example of leadership. She's non-normative, as in we shouldn't follow her as an example. Um, Others will say she's a living indictment or a shame to the nation of Israel. Um, One of my favorite quotes is it says, If our society ever sinks to the level where one Deborah is necessary, it will be a sign that God is phenomenally displeased with our culture and is inflicting a colossal curse on it. And this is certainly something, this idea is something I've seen a lot of in the discussions lately about, you know, what could happen if we end up with a woman president. Um, And again, that's not about the politics of the particular woman, but just the idea of a woman leading. Um, Uh, Another, so others believe that Deborah um, should motivate godly women to encourage men to lead. And the quote I have for that is, the Bible views Deborah's judgeship as a rebuke against the absence of male leadership. Something is abnormal, something is wrong. There are no men to function as judge. The story of of Deborah should then motivate women in such situations to do what Deborah did, encourage and exhort a man to take the leadership role uh, that God's called him to. And you know it's interesting, and I, I say this in the book, and I've said this in in other discussions that, you know, growing up, I never heard this about Deborah. Like I, and I grew up in a conservative church, conservative area, Bible. Well, yeah, neither did I. Um, this idea that you know Deborah as a judge was a, a bad thing. Um, that was something I came across as an adult. So you know, it's kind of fascinating to me to to see this. Um, but when you consider when you look at the actual account of what happens with Deborah and then look at the song in Judges 5 that Deborah and, and Barak sing together. Um, so, they, they lead song. And the first thing that she she says is, The leaders led in Israel. The people volunteered. Bless the Lord. right? Uh, and it praises the leaders, officers, and princes from the various tribes who joined together and fought. So, Clearly, Deborah is not the only faithful person in Israel. Clearly, there were faithful men who were leading and, and doing what they were supposed to do, but Deborah still had a particular role as judge, right? She wasn't um, she wasn't a priest, and she wasn't leading um, in the religious worship. She's not ordained, but she is, you know, to quote another part of that passage, a mother in Israel, right? She is a civil leader. There's a,
1: um, there's an article in the, in the OPC that, uh, website that is, you know, they have the question and answers and mm-hmm. it's kind of like, how does one reconcile the fact that Deborah was a judge, um, and the, uh, the reform position against female pastors and elders? Okay. So that's the question. And there's th- this article kind of describes some of the views you know, that mm-hmm. we've been talked about. But one of the things it says is Deborah was a judge, a position roughly equivalent to a ruler such as a queen, president, or evil, or other civil authority. To judge was to rule. And skipping down it says it was not a position of religious authority. The priests right. and Levites were the preachers and worship leaders at the time. And that's the distinction.
0: Right. And that is the distinction. Right. And so, you know there is every indication from the passage and from what follows from the, from judges itself, that Deborah was a a wise leader and that she was respected and blessed. And the land had 40 years of rest after her, after this point, right? And they, they get rid of the, the, the enemies. And so it's a, it's a time, a blessed time in Israel. So there's every indication that, you know, she's there as a, a positive example, right? Not, not a negative one. But so when you, you go through a discussion like this, typically you, you can get to that point and say, "Well, this is what it says in judges. And then someone says, well, what about Isaiah three 12? Okay. So we flip over to Isaiah three twelve and see what it says there. Um, and first off the, the what's going on in the passage, the context um, Israel is coming under judgment for um having abandoned God and you know, Isaiah is telling them about prophesying about what's going to happen and the coming disaster and destruction, um, the destruction of Israel that's coming and the, the leading of the people into captivity. And so um, you see this verse, my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. There are, variety of questions about the passage first there is what does the passage mean how should it be interpreted um how should it are the the has it been translated correctly right um the the literal meaning of it would be that um you know there were there were young and inexperienced leaders, and women, maybe the queen mother or other women in the church or the court, who were not the church in the court who were um, leading in Israel, and this was a bad thing. Right. Um. Some people look at it and say that children and women are metaphors of weak and inexperienced leaders. Um. You know that. Of course, at the time, it would be an insult to call a grown man a child or to call one a woman, and these are common insults at the time. Um, but then, one of the things that I've read, and we'll link the article, and you know, I will I qualify this with the the article that is, that we're using here um, was written by a woman who is uh, egalitarian, and while I disagree with her interpretation on um, whether or not women can be ordained. Uh, the, the research that she is using here is legitimate research into um, how to understand the passage. Um, and I think it's worth at least reading through because she gives all these different opinions and you can make up your own mind about it. Um, some people say, that some scholars say that the word they're used for women um, is actually a word for creditors uh, similar doubt to the word children there um, and it has to do with in Hebrew words are written without their vowels and so the the vowel difference there is the difference between women and creditors so and there are some translators that some translations that make this um, the creditors lorded over them instead of women it, and it fits, It could contextually with what's going on in the passage. So maybe that's really what's going on there. I think however you determine what the meaning of those words are, if the word is woman or creditors. If the Bible is trying to teach us that having a woman in leadership is a a judgment, this one verse is a weak support for that for a couple reasons. One is there are other places where we have like Deborah and the prophetesses who are clearly in some form of leadership um, and they are not, there's nothing associated with those passages that says, like for example, with the prophetess Huldah, she was at the same time, um, she was prof- prophesying at the same time as other well-known male prophets. And yet the king sends for her. So, it's not that she's the only one and it's judgment on Israel that there's only a female prophet. Um, Or even, you know, this idea in this verse, children are their oppressors. And so, then you would say, well, then if you have a a child ruler, king, then that is a punishment on Israel. But we know from Israel's history that some of the most godly of their uh, kings were, came to the throne as children and were, were good kings. You think of Josiah, uh, for example. Um, or even the promise, um, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Right. So there is not a negative associated necessarily with this idea of children um, and leadership. Right. Uh, so all that to say, uh, I think that Isaiah three twelve is a a weak support to make such a sweeping claim about women in leadership. Yeah, and
1: there there isn't something that says and Je- Deborah's leadership was because of this. You know, there's right. not a verse that that explains it. This is more of. Um, we we see Deborah, we see Deborah, and um someone comes along and says, Well, but look at this verse here, and so therefore this about Deborah. So one of the things that I'm gonna link is um, is a core Christianity, which I mentioned when we started this little um section. And we have a a little quote from that episode from the episode notes. Um from adriel sanchez one of the best judges israel ever had was a woman judges chapter 4 talks about deborah and she was a prophet and a judge we are told that the people of israel would go to her for judgment because of her wisdom i also think a lot of other women throughout the old testament who functioned as prophets who had a powerful and positive effect on israel there are clear biblical examples of god blessing his people through some of these female leaders i think that should call into question any theology that says all women political leaders are a result of god's judgment and i would encourage going and listening to that whole episode it it's one question if you've never listened to core christianity uh, some of their episodes are kind of question and answer people send in their their questions and that's what this is and i will even put um, what minute mark that this question uh, was answered because I think their whole description and discussion about this is very very helpful. You know, I know that we we've, we've hit on very little, and this is part of a much bigger discussion. Mm-hmm. Things that we've talked about before, things we'll talk about more in the future, even. Um, but I I recommend recommend Rachel's book and also Amy's book just because it talks about the broader conversation. Um, where some of these ideas came from and that they have, that some of these ideas have a foundation that is not biblical. You know, we've talked about ESS and this idea that men and women have a different ontology and, you know, what are some of the implications if that's what's being taught. And there's often things that Christians say, um, and it's so common to say to them that they're repeated mm-hmm. Um, without really thinking through them. And I, I remember, I've had things like that in my life, especially when I was younger, I'd hear something, I'd even repeat it. And then I'd stop and say to my mom, where's that in the Bible? <laughs> you know, My mm-hmm. mom would say, well, actually, it's not. Um, and so it's important to really understand this whole entire discussion, what it is that scripture teaches about men and women. And, you know, we do know that scripture teaches that only qualified men are to be pastors and elders. We we believe that that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, and hu- wives submit to your husbands. And we we believe all these things. There's some foundational teachings that I think are very um, potentially dangerous that have resulted in some of these other teachings, um, especially what you find in the Christian patriarchy movement. Hmm. So I will link some of our other episodes that have to do um, with what we're talking about here, just because I think it's helpful for everybody to have kind of a clear understanding of the whole subject. Even I even think our ESS discussions um, are important because that's been so, I mean, I'm sure you've seen that, Rachel, but mm-hmm. wow, that was so eye-opening. When you started writing about ESS, which I had didn't know anything about, and uh, you were the first person I read about it. And when I started understanding it and that, you know, the theological error, and I realized how much it was taught and all the practical things that were taught because of it. Mm. Kind of scary stuff, huh?
0: Yeah, and it's everywhere.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. You you know, I will tell you when I first started learning about ESS, and Rachel would tell you, I would send her like a screenshot of something and say, is this ESS? (laughs) And I'm like, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And I think some people, I think that's actually a really great example of what I was talking about when you have um, lots of people like that, something that's repeated, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that, you know, Christ was eternally uh, submissive to the Father. And, you know, and people repeat this without thinking about what they're saying and really understanding. So. Uh, We'll be planning soon for 2021. I can't believe it's going to be 2021. If you have any episode suggestions, um, you know, email us or reach out to one of us. Email us at thealgagals at gmail.com. And then um, also everything that all the links from today will be in the episode notes. So we will see you next week.